I invite you to open your Bibles this morning to Exodus chapter 4. And our focus this morning is going to be uh, specific verses in chapter 4 and chapter 5 from the book of Exodus. But I'd like to get a running start, if I could, this morning. Have you ever needed a running start? <laughs> so I'm going to take you back to chapter 3 and let you look at just a couple of things there before we get into chapter 4. In chapter 5, last Sunday we visited with Moses at the burning bush. It's a high water mark in scripture. It's a story that many of us know and we have thought about it and heard about it and a lot of ways contemplated what we might have done had we been there in Moses' sandals on that day. Uh, when I was growing up, and even now, from time to time, I will see that around Easter, I don't know why it's at Easter, but uh, the old Cecil B. DeMille movie will be aired on television. Do you remember that? Uh, it was made back in the 1950s. I know our young people can't, they can't register 1950. That's tough for some, uh, especially our young folks. It's a poorly made movie by today's standards, we're so accustomed to, you know, uh, different things and the digital shocks that come out in uh, movies these days, but uh, it, it was a very special movie when it was produced, and oddly enough, it was very close to Scripture. But the burning bush in that movie, as Moses stands there and God speaks to him, is a very captivating moment. And I wonder what it would be like for us if, if you years ago went through that study called Experiencing God that was written by Henry Blackaby. You know that Henry Blackaby calls that a crisis of belief. And what he means by that is that God confronted Moses with a situation and said, I need you to get involved. I need you to do something about this. I'm going to do it through you. But I need you as my servant. I need you as my spokesman. And it was a crucial, critical moment in the life of Moses where he did, had to decide, am I going to submit and follow God's will for my life or will, will I go my separate way? Will I do my own thing? I've heard people say before, you know, I felt like God was asking me to do something, but I never had a burning bush experience. Can I tell you something? This is the only place in the Bible where we know it occurred. So if you're waiting on a burning bush experience, the, the odds are you're not going to have one. We, we live in a different age. The reality of Christ in our hearts and in our lives is just as real as it was for Moses in this day as God spoke to him. We have difficulty understanding that. But it's very true. And the advantage that we have when we come to our relationship with God through Christ basically is the total focus of Scripture. Moses had nothing. He had nothing in writing. He had no precedent to go back and evaluate against what God was trying to do or asking him to do. We have the advantage of 66 books in the Bible that tells us about how God spoke to men of old in the Old Testament. And then we come to the New Testament and we have the introduction of the coming of Christ and His reign on this earth or His uh, 
ministry on this earth. And then it tells us even how time and history will come to an end. So we're much at an advantage over Moses even as he stands at the burning bush. I want, did I need to bring some polishing cloths today? Uh, the bush was burning last week and it was not consumed and I had this idea that soot was just going to be all over everything and we need to come in and kind of polish up the church as, before we could sit down. I want you to look at verse 19 in chapter 3 because verse 19 in chapter 3, God is speaking and he says something here that I don't know if we really caught on to it because we didn't read it last week, but if you've read it before, listen to what it says. He says, I know that the king of Egypt, that's Pharaoh, will not permit you to go except under compulsion. Now what God is admitting to Moses is this. I'm asking you to go back to Egypt and there's a message that I need you to deliver and the message is let my people go. I want to free them. I want to take them to a totally different land. It's a land that I promised to give them and I want to place them there. I want them to live there. They're no longer going to live as your neighbor. They're no longer going to live as your servants. But I know Moses, I know Pharaoh's not going to let you do that. Isn't it interesting that God is saying to Moses, Moses, this is not going to be an easy task. Maybe that was a little bit of Moses' reluctance. And once he hears what it is that God wants him to do, Moses begins to respond with questions. I want you to see this. Look back in verse, uh, oh, is it 14? Uh, 13, in, in verse 14. He says, I'm going to the sons of Israel, and I will say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you. Now they may say to me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? Now, now why did Moses think this? Why did Moses have this question? Well, in Egypt there were many gods and goddesses. And the Egyptians worshipped a multitude of gods. We're going to see that and talk about it when we address the plagues that God sent on Egypt. Because guess what? Every plague addressed one of the gods or goddesses that was worshipped in Egypt. It didn't address them all because there were too many. Under Plagues were what were needed for Moses, uh, for Pharaoh to finally say, under compulsion, get out. I'll let you go. I'll let you do what you're asking to do. But Moses wanted to know. They're going to ask me what, because they're accustomed to hearing the, the names of gods and goddesses. And You say you're their God, but what shall I say? Listen to what God says in verse 14. I am who I am. And he said, thus shall you say to the sons of Israel, I am has sent me to you. Now this, this word... This phrase is a sacred word in Scripture. As a matter of fact, in Jewish antiquity, the name was so sacred that when a scribe would sit down and if he would write the name of God, he would take a, a certain quill, a certain pen, if you will, and dip it in ink and he would write the name of God and then he would put that quill back and he would not use it for transcribing any other part of Scripture. As a matter of fact, this name for God, which ultimately, by the way, came to be known as Yahweh, that's our English transliteration of the word, the consonants were lost. 
over time. We just have the, uh, the vowels, I should say. The consonants remain, but the vowels in the word were lost. So Yahweh is our best guess of what God is saying here. But, but, but understand something. Do you know what God is saying when he says, tell him I am? Now, now follow me on this. Listen. He says, I, here, here's what you're to tell him. <sighs> you know what that means? Breath. Life. You, you tell them that I am the God who is. I am God. I am has sent you. That's what he's saying. I am the only God that exists. That's what God is saying. He said, tell them that I'm the only one who can give you the rest. I'm the only one who can give you life. And then as I read through the rest of chapter 3, I'm rushing. I'm, as my stepdad used to say, I'm making hay while the sun is shining. So stay with me here. In the rest of chapter 3, I was amazed this week as I read it and reread it and reread it again. God told Moses every single thing that was going to happen. This is what you're going to do. This is what Pharaoh's going to say. And this is ultimately how you're going to get out of Egypt. God showed him every step along the way. And I took a step back and I said, Lord, could you please do that for me? Have you not ever wanted that? How many of you, don't, don't applaud, you're going to hurt my feelings. But how many of you would love to know the exact day that your committee comes and tells you, this is who your pastor is. This is the candidate that God has led us to. Now, now we'd, we'd like to know the date out there. We'd like to put it on the calendar. We'd like to spread the word a little bit and tell everybody, y'all need to be at church that Sunday because that's the Sunday they're going to make an announcement. We, we wouldn't have room to fit everybody in here, would we? Because everybody wants to know. There are things about your life. There are things about my life out there in the future that I'd love to know. How's this going to play out? God, will you show me how you're going to work and how you're going to provide in these scenarios? But God doesn't always do that for us. We operate on the basis of faith. And faith is just lived out one step at a time every single day. There's a verse in the Bible that says the mercies of God are new every single day. And we need to claim that promise that his mercies are new. So Moses asked the question, God, I've got a question here. I'm not saying no, but... They're going to ask me who sent me, so what should I say? You tell them I am, has sent you. Look at chapter 4, look at what it says. Verse 1, Moses said, what if they will not believe me or listen to me? For they may say, the Lord has not appeared to you. And then God does something very interesting. He begins to give Moses signs, miraculous, supernatural kinds of things that he can do once he gets back to Egypt to a detail that he's had this experience with God. Now, I'm not going to go into every detail here, but you know that what he's saying first is, what's that in your hand? It's a staff. I'm going to come back to that in another sermon, by the way, when we're at the Red Sea, because it's kind of instrumentally used there. And he says, throw it down on the ground. So he throws it down, it becomes a serpent. Pick it back up, it becomes a staff again. Then God says, put your hand in your coat. He puts it in. He takes it out. His hand becomes leprous, sores, all of these kinds of sores were actually a sickness. It was an immune deficiency, and it could claim a person's life. Lepers were very contagious. Moses sticks his hand back in his coat. The leprosy is gone. God says that's a sign that you can use. Then look at, look at verse 10. Moses said to the Lord, uh, Lord, I, I, I've never been eloquent, neither recently nor in time past, nor you have spoken to your servant, for I'm slow of speech and slow of 
tongue. Now that's a statement, that's not a question, but then what happens? God begins to ask Moses questions. Look at what he says. Who's made man's mouth? Who makes him mute or deaf or seeing or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Sort of reminded me of the book of Job. I think I've mentioned this to you before, how in the book of Job, Job went through all of his trials. He kept saying, Lord, if you'd show up, I'd put you on the witness stand. Because under oath, I need some answers to why all of this has happened to me and what's going on. God eventually shows up in the book of Job, doesn't he? But does he answer Job's questions? <laughs> no. He asks Job questions. Where were you when the earth was formed? Job, uh, did you have a part in deciding how the cardinal directions were set, north, south, east, uh, north, south, east, west? Did, 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 you, did you help with that? No. no. Job can't even respond. Moses can't even respond here. God's trying to say, I'm the one who's made you, Moses. I'm the one who's calling you. I will give you what you need. Trust me. Do. And then in chapter 4 at the end, he finally says, fine, take Aaron, your brother, with you. And look at what it says in verse 27 of chapter 4. Now, this is important. Look at it. The Lord said to Aaron, go meet Moses. Where? In the wilderness. We talked about the wilderness last week, didn't we? And how that's a special place for God. What's God doing? He's setting Moses up to see him as the one who's giving direction and bringing all things into play and into focus here. And it's simply a matter of Moses willing to trust God to do what he says he's going to do. Now, chapter 5 is an interesting chapter to me. Now, we, we've, we've covered these verses very quickly, but I, I need to get on to this. But look at what it says in chapter 5, verse 2. Moses and Aaron begin walking back to Egypt. And they say in verse 1, Let my people go, that they may celebrate a feast to the Lord in the wilderness. Look at verse 2. But Pharaoh said, uh, Who is the Lord that I should obey his voice? And let Israel go. I do not know the Lord. And besides, I will not let Israel go. Who is the Lord? Do you know why Pharaoh asked that question? It's because in Egypt, the Pharaoh, the monarch, was always believed to be an offspring of deity of the sun god. And Pharaohs knew this. And they expected that the people would honor him as a God. And so when Moses and Aaron walk in and says, The Lord has said, let my people go. Pharaoh's like, Lord, I'm, I'm the Lord. I didn't say that. Who is the Lord? Who, who have you been talking to? So immediately there is this sense of rejection of the idea. I, I don't know the Lord. I've not heard him say that. And I will not let your people go. Then look at what it says in verse 3. The God of Hebrews, Hebrews has met with us. Please let us go three days journey into the wilderness that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God. So, it, you know, they show up and they said, let my people go. No, please. 
Do you ever use that strategy with anybody when you don't get the answer that you're looking for? Well, how about I say please? Maybe that would be a little, please let us go. Look at verse 4. But the king of Egypt said to them, Moses and Aaron, why do you draw the people away from their work? Get back to your labors. Look at verse 7. You are no longer to give the people straw to make brick as previously. Let them go and gather straw for themselves. But the quota of bricks which they were making previously, you shall impose on them because you're not to reduce any of it. Because they're lazy. Therefore they cry out, let us go sacrifice to our God. Let the labor be heavier on the men and let them work at it so that they may pay no attention to false words. Hmm. Look at verse 12. So the people scattered through all the land of Egypt to gather stubble for the straw. Hmm. Look at verse 22. Then Moses returned to the Lord and said, Lord, why have you brought harm to this people? And why did you ever send me? Ever since I came to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he's done harm to this people. And you've not delivered your people at all. Now that's a cursory glance. There's so much in between there that you need to take time and read. But I want you to follow my train of thought this morning. Do you know about Murphy's Laws? Have you ever had a day where you got up and about noon or maybe 3 o'clock in the afternoon, you're asking yourself, why did I get up this morning? I mean, everything that I've done has just sort of been counterproductive. It's working against me. Now, you can search out there and find a list of different kinds of Murphy's Laws. A couple of my favorite ones are if the toast falls off the plate, it's almost certainly going to land jelly down, right, on the ground. Another one is when you call the dishwasher repairman, odds are not good that he's ever seen a maker model quite like yours. Murphy's Laws. Murphy's Laws simply stated are if it can go wrong, it will go wrong. If there's even a remote possibility, it will go wrong. We get that. We understand that. Moses is living that. He's had a clear, defining moment with the Lord. The Lord said, go tell Pharaoh, let my people go. And as Moses goes back with Aaron, his brother, and they begin to speak to Pharaoh, Pharaoh says no. And as a matter of fact, tell you what, I'm going to increase the workload of the people. And the first thing that he does is he says, take the straw away. We're not going to provide straw. You get your own straw. Why was straw needed to make bricks? Now, I had to consult a few non-church people for me to get this answer. Are you ready for this? There is an acid in the straw that without it, the bricks, the, 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 the consistency of the bricks is more like chalk. And it will not withstand over time as the sun and the wind and the rain beat on the bricks. And there wasn't a lot of rain, I suppose, back then in Egypt, that is. But, but, the, but the bricks would just dry up and crumble away. They needed the straw because the straw would build the strength into the bricks. Anybody here ever been to Egypt? Don't, don't be shy. Anybody? I, won't, I won't embarrass you. Well, I haven't either. But I talked to a person or two who's been to Egypt. You know what they tell me? Ain't a lot of pine trees there. <laughs> now, I don't, I'm sure they didn't use pine straw for the bricks. You know, my, you know, whatever kind of 
weed or hay substance of grass that they use to put in the bricks. It's just not a lot of it. I think it was scarce to begin with. And now Pharaoh says, you go find your own straw. And so as they begin searching for their own straw to make the bricks, he says, oh, by the way, you still got to make as many bricks now as you did before. What? And the taskmasters, these were the foremen for Pharaoh who would go out and supervise the projects to make sure that they're building exactly as the Pharaoh desired and they're doing exactly what he wanted them to do and they're on schedule with it. I mean, this, this was a very, very elaborate kind of project that they would build as they would build the pyramids, as they would build the walls, as they would build the, the monuments there. All a tribute to the Pharaoh, one who sat on the throne. And Pharaoh says, yes, I want you to do this. This is the way you want it. And you got to work hard. And the people began to complain. The people began to suffer even more. And Moses goes to the Lord and says, Lord... Why? Why are you doing this? Lord, why is this happening? I am following your will. I'm doing exactly what you've told me to do and these are the results and you haven't responded and you haven't re released the Israelites. And Lord, why are you doing this? I want to ask you a question. Have you ever asked the Lord that? I have. There have been a lot of people through the years who have asked that kind of question. How many parents, grandparents, Relatives of missionaries have I known where when the missionaries suffer and they hurt and those, some of those missionaries even have given their lives for the cause of Christ and family members say, why, why, when they were in service to God, when they were following God's will, why did this happen or why do they have to suffer? Why do they have to go through these horrible circumstances? Moses is voicing a question that many of us have asked before. Some of us may be wondering that right now. You know of someone who's going through a difficult time? It may be you. You may be going through a season in your life where you're wondering, God, are you in this? I thought I was doing what you wanted me to do. Job, by the way, I talked about Job. Job at some point in his life cried out to God and said, God, my thoughts are pure, my hands are clean. Why, 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 God, has all of this happened? That ultimately may be, may be exactly what we're trying to answer here. Moses wants to know, God, where are you? Why? Is this happening? I pray that no one ever said to you, if you become a Christian, life will be easy. Because that's not the truth. Even though we make an appeal every single Sunday for you to give your life to Christ with Him and stand that, to follow Christ, to follow Him in baptism and, and, and grow in this relationship with Him and study the Bible and share your faith and all the things that we invite you to do in relation to God through Jesus, I want you to understand that when you give your life to Christ, the enemy lines up on the other side against you. When you finally make a choice to go with God, the enemy is the opposition. And he, they, whomever they are, they will do whatever they have to do to cause us to stumble, to hinder our progress, to, to make us question and doubt our faith. This is the nature of our relationship. 
But the provisions that God gives us are all overwhelmingly greater than anything that the enemy can throw at us. Well, let me show you what happens here. Look at verse 6, or chapter 6. Now, I'm not going to read all of this, but I want to show you something. In 13 verses, God begins to speak to Moses. Follow me on this. Remember, write this down, read it when you get home. He makes five I am statements. The Lord and in every case, he says, I am the Lord. Moses don't forget that. I am the Lord. I am the Lord. I am the Lord. I am the Lord. That was five times I just said that. If somebody says something to you five times, don't you think, I don't think they're trying to make a point. Five times God says, I am the Lord. I am the Lord. I am the Lord. I am the Lord. And then he makes, are you ready for this? Eight. I will say this. I want to show you the other two. Look at verse one. He says, you shall see what I will do to Pharaoh. Look at verse 6. I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I will deliver you from their bondage. I will also redeem you. Verse 7. I will take you from my people. I will be your God. Look at verse 8. I will bring you to the land which I swore to give to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And then he says, I will give it to you for a possession. Eight times God says, I, I. I will, I will, I will. What is God doing here? He said, Moses, get your eyes off yourself. Look at me. I'm the one who's trying to convince you and tell you, you are not going to have to do this. I will do it. I will do it. I will do it. Why was this such a problem for Moses? Remember chapter 2? In chapter 2, Moses saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew. And he went out in the moment of he killed the Egyptian. It was Moses spontaneously responding to do what he thought was the right thing. In the back of his mind, maybe he thought, my people don't deserve to suffer like this. They need to be liberated. They need to be free. But Moses was interjecting himself into that moment using his own strength, running ahead of God, doing what God wanted him to do, but doing it at the wrong time and in the wrong way. Is his eyes wrong about that, is And at the burning bush, he's trying to say to Moses, Moses,
God sees down the road. He was able to tell Moses, this is what you're going to do. This is how it's all going to play out. And eventually and ultimately, he will let the people go, but not without compulsion. Not without me urging him and bringing him to a point where he understands that this is my will. Yeah. 